the Lord's house. The Bible said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Uh, to be about what God would have us to be. I have in my hand, and we're going to spend some time in prayer in just a little while, but for those who have little ones with you, you can uh, just step out to your, on your left as you walk out. Um, right next door here on the other side, on my left side here, is an area for our nursery for our children. Also, there's a cry room. You can take your husband there uh, if he's crying and get him in shape and spank him and bring him back. If you have those little wonderful kids, which my wife and I call grandkids, we love the spoil. We let them know that uh, their parents is indeed our enemy as well. You can take them back in the very far back into our gym, gym area and our family life center and uh, you can release them there. We promise we'll take good care of them. Uh, we'll bring them right back to you just the way you gave them to us. Uh, it's a blessing to be in God's house again today. And just look at the person next to you and say, welcome to the Lord's house. Amen. Praise God. I have a couple of announcements I want to make that we're going to spend some time in prayer. Uh, we're going through a season of engaging the presence of God, and we call it 40 Days of Yes. Everybody say yes. Yes. This is a secret for every husband to understand that your wife asks you a question. Your answer is yes before she asks you. Right, brothers? Yes. That's really sad. I feel real sorry for you guys. As of right now, we have, I just got this from Michael, my admin, we have pretty close to 80 people that have signed up for Just Say Yes. Give God praise. Come on, give him praise. Amen. There's a little book that uh, the Lord allowed me to pen. Uh, it began like this right here when I went through it several years ago. I was in a place I'd never been before in my life. I was going through some experiences i never experienced before in my life. I had written the book, but I had never really, really done the book. I wrote the book and right at 2000, but I really never did the book. When I went through the book, the book went through me. It took me 38 days to find out that God said to me, if you stop reaching for my hand, I'll give you my heart. And when God did that, he released a lot of problems and issues I had in my life, and he set me free. And because of that, I really believe the Lord allows me to be here serving with your pastor and this great church. I believe that I had not gone through that experience with God, released myself to him, I wouldn't be here today. Amen? amen. Come on, give me a better amen today. Amen. So I want to encourage you uh, to get on board with us with Just Say Yes. 40 days of yes. It'll begin on tomorrow, ending on the 30th of next month. 40 days of yes. And, and it, it engages both prayer and also um, fasting. Now, when it comes to fasting, you make a decision if you want to fast one day a week, if you want to fast from television or whatever you want to do. Fasting is not about, not miss, about missing food. Fasting is about getting into God's presence, learning how much God loves you, how much he cares for you. That's what fasting is all about. The Bible says that prayer gets God's attention, but fasting breaks strongholds. If there are stronghold issues in your finances, in your family, in your children, in your children, in your children, whatever it might be, uh, take that before the Lord and watch God do an incredible work in your life. So join us if you will. Also, what I, I shared with the guys uh, and other, other groups that I've been meeting with and talking to, if you do not have the $17, which we gave our church a little discount for this, if you don't have it and you know that you really want to do this, you get a free book. Somebody say free book. 
very good. But if you got the mucho dinero comprende, you need to pay up day, okay? And uh, make sure that God blesses others with it as well. So you're open to receive the book. Michael will be back there uh, taking names and so forth and et cetera. And I guarantee you it would be a great blessing uh, for you and for our church. Let's go to God in prayer and ask the Lord to help us to be his people to carry out his mission here in this community. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name whereby every knee shall bow, every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we pray that the many blessings that you have poured into the lap of this church, that the history, the foundation, the people who have who launched our Father with a vision to do something greater than they ever could do, those who are sick and tired of being sick and tired of doing stuff, Father, just for mundane purposes, but for those, Father, who really got set ablaze by God and planted this church and saw the need of this community, Father, may you take that great opportunity and pour it down into our hearts those of us, Father, who are millennials and those of us, Father, all different ages and backgrounds and cultures and all the things we have, help us, Lord, to come together as one massive, large family and double this number of 80, Father. Make it 200, Lord. Reach out beyond the walls of this church and let people know that we're able to agree with God on this journey to wholeness and holiness and say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we agree with you that you would do incredible and unbelievable things in the life of our pastor, our church, our ministry, that the glory of God may fall upon us. We ask these things in no other name. Save the name of our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' precious name we pray, and for Christ's sake. If our heart said amen. amen, amen a second time. Amen, amen. just one more time. One for the Father, Amen. one for His Son, Amen. and one for His precious Holy Spirit. Put your hands together and give God praise and thanksgiving. This morning for leading us in worship. Uh, again, want to welcome you to Cornerstone Baptist Church. We are glad you are here this morning. Excited that you're here worshiping with us. And if this is your first time with us, we're especially glad you're here. And uh, hopefully on your way in the door, you should have received a welcome back. Inside that welcome bag is a, a bunch of information. There's stuff about our church, information about our church, calendar, uh, uh, things that are going on, things that you might want to be a part of, uh, services that we offer, as well as a small gift, a token of our appreciation. But most importantly, inside that bag is a visitor's card. If you'd do us a favor this morning and fill that out ever so quickly when the offering bags are passed around, we'd ask that you just drop one, uh, one of those in there and let us know that you were here in attendance with us this morning morning uh, and how you got here uh, it just helps us with our record keeping as well as helps us to know what we're doing well and where we can improve all right so with that said again we're glad you're here worshiping this morning I've got a couple of announcements I've been asked to make first of all uh, if you are new with us this morning uh, you may not have known that this program existed but we uh, adopt here at Cornerstone Baptist Church we have adopted two local schools uh, and uh, we work with their social workers their administrators 
administration to try to meet some of their needs. And uh, we don't ask for any credit or anything like that. We just try to meet the needs. And uh, they don't know where these things come from. We just try to uh, help their social workers know uh, uh, or get get the information to us about what's needed. And so I want to highlight a couple of things. Uh, We've already been supplying some things to the social workers, whether it be uh, shoes and clothing, uh, some money for doctor's bills and things like that. But we have a couple of needs that have been presented this week. And so I just want to put them out there. If you have one of these items or are willing to go get it, it helps us, uh, just saves us with some of the money that we spend on it. But we're looking for a size 13 boys basketball shoe. Doesn't matter the color. It can be gently used uh, or we can get them a brand new pair, whatever uh, is best for you. But if you would be willing to meet that need this week, uh, Miss Eunice Geyer is here somewhere. I'm not sure exactly. There she is. She's got her hand up. After our services this morning, would you go and grab her and let her know that you're going to meet that? And then this week, we also already paid for an eye exam. And uh, I only mentioned this just to say that on a regular basis, if you want to help meet these needs, uh, but don't want to wait for a list to come out, you can do that by just uh, uh, putting a few dollars in the offering plate and marking in the memo line, school adoption or benevolence, however, which way you want to mark it is fine. Uh, We'll make sure those funds get dispersed and used properly. Uh, But we've already taken care of that uh, medical exam this week. But uh, anyway, you can do that. You can help us with that anytime in the future if you'd like to give in that capacity, okay? Um, Also, uh, men's uh, and boys have some uh, events coming up, and I want to highlight them ever so quickly. The first one that I want to highlight is actually the the last one on the calendar. November 16th and 17th, I asked you last week to go ahead and mark your calendars for that. That Friday night and Saturday morning, we're going to have a men's weekend here with the Jason Lovins Band, as well as Dr. John Noble is going to come and be our guest preacher. And you may remember him from the park several years ago. Uh, He's going to come and spend the weekend with us, as well as the Jason Lovins Band. They'll stay with us and do our worship Sunday morning, the 18th, and then they will stay and do our Sunday evening services on the 18th as well. And so, uh, ladies, have no fear. You'll get an opportunity to hang out with them as well, okay? Uh, But uh, we want men and boys to be invited to the men's weekend uh, that that Friday and Saturday. And so mark your calendars and uh, do your best to be able to come and be a part of that. The one that's coming up uh, this weekend is just a guy's night out. Uh, It is October the 26th. That would be this Friday at 4 o'clock until midnight is what the flyer says. If you're old like the preacher, you will go home sooner than that. But for those who want to stay, it's from 4 o'clock until midnight, okay? And we'll have a bonfire. We'll probably shoot some guns, maybe blow a few things up. Uh, We'll do whatever guys do, okay? Uh, Cook some s'mores, hot dogs, things like that. want you to come be a part of that, uh, men and boys. Great opportunity. If you want to bring some shotguns and help us uh, shoot some clay pigeons, we'd love to have you. The information about that, how to get to the Austin farm, is back on the information desk. I'm going to ask if uh, our greeters that uh, helped us this morning... Uh, when services are over, if a couple of you would make your way to the to the doors and pick these up off the information desk and pass them out as people go by, uh, that would very mu- we'd very much appreciate it. But we hope you'll come and be a part of that Friday night, guys, uh, from 4 o'clock on, okay? If I could have the men who are going to help with the offering go ahead and make their way forward. Our text for this morning is going to come out of the Luke's, Luke's Gospel in the 5th chapter. And verses 17 down to verse 26, we're going to look at a particular story and we're going to try to answer a couple of questions. Man's most, uh, most pressing need 
and what the solution to that need is. We're going to look at that in this story, a story I'm certain you've heard before. Listen to it again in verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him, speaking of Christ, to heal. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, that they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the roof, through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And verse 20, And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? Verse 24. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And I love this verse, verse 26. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and they were filled with awe saying, I want you to underline this in your scriptures. We have seen extraordinary things today. We have seen extraordinary things today. You want to see extraordinary things today? I do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the day. And for the opportunity that you've uh, given to us to come together as your people of one heart and mind and one soul, bought by the precious blood of Christ, come together to worship you, to sing songs of praise and adoration, to lavish on you the praise that indeed you are worthy of today because of Christ's redemptive work, his nature, his stature, his authority in our life this morning. Because of that, you're worthy of such things. This morning, I want to see extraordinary things. Not just today, but every day. I want to live a life and get to the end of it and say, I saw extraordinary things. But according to this passage of Scripture, the only extraordinary thing is when you move in power through your precious Son and you forgive man's most perplexing need, the forgiveness of sins. Father, would you move on our hearts and minds this morning as we hear this story afresh and anew. Would you speak to us and bring about great application that might change our hearts and minds before you today. As we collect these tithes and offerings, would you use them for your kingdom purposes? Would you use them to expand your fame, your renown, that you might receive more glory, more honor in this place as we await the coming of your son Jesus? Would you bless these things in Jesus' precious name? Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, again, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke in the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 17 down to verse number 26. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 down to verse number 26. Uh, I'm certain that this is a story that you are familiar with this morning. It's a story about a paralytic man and his friend's ingenuity to try to get him to Jesus. But I want to speak on the subject matter this morning of Jesus and the power of 
to forgive sin. Jesus and the power to forgive sins. And I want to revisit this story, a story that you've heard many times before. And maybe let's see if there might be some things that we might have missed along the way. We're told in our story this morning that Jesus, as Jesus continues his earthly ministry, he found his way to a particular city. Interestingly enough, it's unnamed where quickly he gains a crowd. There's a group of people who have gathered from just about everywhere to come and to listen to him, a point that we'll return to in a few moments. And apparently on this particular day, some Pharisees and other teachers of the law invited Jesus in this unnamed city to an unnamed home to begin to teach them about whatever subject we're not really certain, right? And not that and not that, that was all that uncommon for the day, for indeed, this would have been very common. In their day, uh, it's, it's, honor, it's customary to invite honorary people, honorary teachers of the law to come and to speak, and you would honor them, and they would honor you with their presence by coming to your house. And so we see the events beginning to unfold as you might imagine they would in their particular custom and time. But apparently, they didn't have enough space for all the tickets they sold, right? And a crowd not only gathers in the house, but a crowd begins to gather around the house. And one of the reasons for this crowd was the supernatural display, the supernatural power of Jesus that he had shown over and over again, even very early in his ministry. Whether it was his power uh, or displays of power over cleansing the lepers or the healing of the sick or signs and wonders that he's already done in Luke's gospel, the people wanted to be there and see what was going to happen next. And so in Luke chapter 5 and verses 17 down to verse 26, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord, that the power of the Lord was with Christ to heal and the masses have gathered around to see what's about to happen. What happens next, we've heard before. Apparently, it was in a town with a paralytic man whose friends decided that they cared deeply about the man, brought him to Jesus, and they tried to get him as close to Jesus as possible. The only problem was that the crowd had made this difficult. Perhaps they had exhausted every other option. Perhaps they had heard the rumors of the power of Christ. Whatever it was, they thought that it was only in Jesus could their friend be healed. And so they begin to literally move heaven and earth to try to get him to Christ. And their actions show us just how desperate they were. The crowd was so large that they could find no way to get in to see Jesus. And so they devised a plan. They climbed up on top of the roof and having taken off some of the thatching or the tiles, they cut a hole and they lowered the man's body through that hole in the roof down to the feet of Jesus. Just as a side note here, because I'm ADD, I've often wondered what that must have been like, right? I mean, I'm picturing myself in the shoes or the sandals of Jesus sitting there in that moment, and I know that when I preach and things happen around me, I tend to get distracted, right? Now, you never get distracted during a sermon, but I, I get distracted from time to time. People start moving around, and I, I start thinking, well, I wonder what they're doing, and, and don't they know that I haven't gotten to the best part yet? And, and hey, wait a second, we'll still beat the Pentecostals to lunch, hang on a little bit longer, right? I cannot get a little distracted. I'm imagining Jesus sitting there, right? And all of a sudden, right above you, a hole happens in the roof, right? And you're trying to teach and you're trying to captivate everyone's attention. And suddenly a man begins to get lowered into your presence, right? 
If they were like you as the listeners in this day, they wouldn't have even heard anything that Jesus said from that moment on. Maybe that's why Luke doesn't tell us what he was teaching, right? Because nobody remembers. They were enthralled with what was happening as a hole is cut into the roof and this man is lowered in. They lower him down to Jesus and the importance of the story really begins to take shape. In verse number 20, Jesus is said to have seen the faith of his friends. I want you to notice that pronoun that is used there, that plural pronoun, their, right, their faith, he says there in verse 20. Not because of your faith, but because of their faith. Listen, your sins are forgiven you. I'm going to come back to that in a few moments as well. The immediate response in that day, we're told, was one of outrage. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, first and foremost, the people knew that only God had the power to forgive sins. And so some of these Pharisees and teachers began to ask themselves, why does this one blasphemy? Does he think that he is God? You see, when Jesus said to the man in this moment, your sins are forgiven, what he was in fact saying is, I have the power to forgive them. I have the power to do that. And, and they rightly conclude only God can do that. So he must be saying, I am God. Second, the people had to come to terms, even as critics, with the undeniability of his supernatural power to heal. He'd already done several miracles by this point. Uh, but his healing of a physical condition and claiming authority over it in the story of a spiritual condition, well, that was too great of a leap for them to make. They couldn't understand it. It's that second reality that Jesus wanted to challenge them and thereby affirmed the first that he was indeed God. He was asked them the question in verse 23, which is easier to say to you, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk. Now, lest we miss too much, I want us to understand it was a brilliant question on the part of Christ. Because what he was doing in this moment when he asked the people, is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? What he was doing was he was actually calling out the people's hypocrisy. See, the teachers of the law believed in reciprocal characteristics of spiritual and physical nature. In other words, if there was a spiritual problem, they believed that it was almost always manifest in a physical way. The man's paralyzation, his paralyzed condition, was in fact, in their view, a symptom of a greater problem, a spiritual condition. His sin was the cause of his physical condition. We know they believe this because over and over in the Gospels, we see such men asking such questions as this. Even the disciples themselves, on one occasion in John's Gospel with a blind man, they say, why is he blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin, his father's sin? You see, they lived in a world where they believed that if there was a physical condition, it was most likely the direct result of a greater spiritual condition that was unseen. And so because they believed this, Jesus challenged them on it. He challenged their authority, their hypocrisy. Today, you and I don't believe the same. We don't draw the same conclusions. Just because a person is sick, we don't immediately assume that they have some great spiritual condition that is a problem, right? Or I hope not, because I had a cold and you guys might think the pastor needs to get saved or something, right? Most of the time, we don't think uh, that, that, a spirit, that a physical is always a symptom of the greater spiritual condition. But they did. And so in this moment, when he asked the question, which is easier, to rise and, wait and, and walk, take up your bed and walk, or you're forgiven of your sins, what he's saying to them is, if they're connected, then how do you know which is greater, which is more impressive to you? 
See, by their own logic, if Jesus had the power over one, which he had already shown that he did, he had power over the other. He had power over both. That becomes central theme in this story as later we must find a way around uh, this by asking if perhaps his power comes from another source. You see, later on, these same Pharisees and teachers, they're going to say, well, we can't deny his physical power, so maybe we should look for a different conclusion. And so they conclude that maybe his power came from the darkness, from the dark side, from Darth Vader. I mean, uh, the devil, right? They said maybe he cast out demons. Maybe he deals with the physical by the power of Beelzebub instead of God because they had to come up with some conclusion. But in this moment, Jesus was not going to let them off the hook that they had created for themselves. And so he states in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the man and he says, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And then verse number 25 says the people, the man did exactly this. And the people could not deny what they had seen and they began to glorify God. That's the logistics of the story. You've heard it a thousand times, right? It's not a complex story, neither in its telling nor in its interpretation. We don't need a long sermon to to really hash it all out and to understand everything that took place. Brother George just turned to his wife and said, See, I told you we were getting out of here early today. But oftentimes when we read a story like this, we miss the beautiful intricacies along the way. Our minds tend to miss the fundamental and most important truths. We have heard entire sermons about this text, about the faithfulness of the friends and the importance of us bringing those that we know to Christ, right? And that's good in itself. We do need to be like these faithful friends, these men who are willing to sacrifice everything, move everything out of the way, overcome every obstacle to bring those that they knew needed to get to Christ. We need to be willing to be like such men, right? Being willing to cut holes in roofs if necessary to get somebody to Jesus, right? We've heard countless sermons on the faithlessness of the Pharisees in this text and how they will always be those, there will always be those who choose to stand in the way of others coming to Christ as opposed to those who are willing to make new roads. But if we step back from this text, from those things, and we ask ourselves a simple question, what is the entire point of the story? We may come to a different conclusion. When I was in college and then again working on my master's and now working on my uh, 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 doctorate of ministry, in my preaching classes, every professor would ask this or would say this one statement over and over again. He'd say, you must be able to present an entire message in a single sentence. And all of God's people said, dilly dilly, right? I'm not sure if you all were paying them to say such things or, or that's just uh, you know, what all of us want our preachers to do. Um, we certainly would say that would be nice to preach an entire sermon in one single sentence. But the point they were trying to make in all of that is that in every story of Jesus, in every beautiful text with all of its complexities, it comes down every time to a singular truth which when hearing is supposed to impact the way we live our lives. I wonder sometimes if we miss the singular truth of this story from time to time. You see, most of the time when we look at the story, we focus on the friends. But I want you to know this morning, if no one else has ever told you this, they are not the heroes of the story. 
Sometimes we want to focus on the Pharisees because they become easy targets because they're standing in the way of this man getting to Christ. But I want you to know even they are not the villains. Instead, our story does have a hero and his name is Christ. And our story does have a villain and his name, are you ready, is not the Pharisees, but sin itself. And the entirety of the story is about the hero overcoming that villain. The power of Christ to forgive sin, not only for this man, but listen, for this one as well. The ability of Christ to overcome sin for all mankind. Luke chapter 5, again, verses 17 to 26. I want to start over ever so quickly and show you in beautiful details what we miss along the way. In verses 17 and 18, the scene is set. Jesus, being a highly sought-after commodity, is invited to someone's house to host a get-together. But notice that Luke tells us something very specific in the second half of the verse. Of the Pharisees and teachers who had gathered to listen to Jesus, listen, he says of them that they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, if you would go to the back of your Bibles and find a little map back there, you would find out that this encompasses a fairly large section of ground. And yet Luke says that people had gathered there from every one of these villages, everywhere they had come together. Now, you might consider this morning they had no GMCs, no Fords, no Toyotas, no coming in a Hondas. They just had their feet, right, to get there. From a considerably large area, there's a gathering taking place. And Luke says that using only their feet, they just got there somehow and in some way. People were willing to travel by foot, difficult journeys. Are you ready? Because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. It begs the question, why did they want to be there so bad? You and I as believers in Christ living in a post-resurrection world, well, we're not struck by the sacrifice and the commitment that was made by these folks on this day. But we should be. We should be. You see, it's relatively easy for us, most of us, to get to church on a Sunday morning, isn't it, right? It's relatively easy to, to, to find our way around towns. In fact, one of the phenomenons going on across the country is the decline of all these small rural churches. And the biggest reason for that, in many cases, is simply that the, when those churches were planted in the 1800s, people needed something very near to them to get to it. Whereas today, you and I can hop in whatever mode of transportation we want, even if it's a Thesba, and we can get to church on time, right? And all of my Sunday school class said, well, maybe not on time, but close, right? We can get there with relative ease, but these people did not have that ease, and yet they were willing to move everything to get there. Had they come because of the miracles that they had heard that had taken place? Well, of course, in part, the answer to that is yeah. Undeniably, the miraculous healings of Jesus must have caught everybody's attention by this point, and they didn't have TBS or TNT or HBO or anything else, so he was in many ways the biggest show in town, right? But the entire tenor of the story, from Luke's gospel's perspective, is not that they came to see a miracle, but that they came for a different reason. You see, I'm even going to suggest to you this morning that it makes no sense for them to have come to a miracle, see a miracle healing when they didn't even know if one would take place. They didn't know if this man would show up. They didn't even know who the man was. They didn't know what was going to take place. And even if they had assumed that Jesus was going to heal some people, 
Well, they could see that if they just went down to the local infirmary, right? So Luke tells the story as though there's something else that is driving them to come out, right? There's something else that is pushing them to to cross heaven and earth, to, to wade through major lines, right? To get through Walmart in time, right? To make sure that they got there. What is wrong with you people today, right? I mean, I'm giving you my best jokes and you've got nothing. Luke wants to highlight that they had moved everything to get there. And the reason why, because they wanted to hear what he had to say more than they wanted to see what he did. When he did the miracle, it was the fact that Jesus connected the physical healing to the spiritual healing that caused them to glorify God. And they exclaimed in that moment, we have seen extraordinary things today, right? In verse 26. The point that Luke wants to make is that What captured their awe at the end of the story is what captured their intrigue in the very beginning. Jesus' ability to deal with the universal problem of sin. Let me put it in 21st century context this morning, beloved. In simple terms, it was the spiritual concerns that were bringing the crowds. Oftentimes, we think in our churches that crowds come because of our ability or the ability of Christ to deal with physical things. Let, let Let me just stop there for a moment and let you think about that. We think that crowds come, that people come because of our ability or the ability of Christ to deal with physical things. We think that if we are able to give enough money, if we're able to do enough things over here, that that will naturally make people come to our church or come to uh, our church and experience a new relationship with Christ. We think that if we could do the right show, if we could put the right music on, if we could meet all of the physical needs then the crowds would magically find their way there. But beloved, it wasn't any of those things that was drawing this crowd. In fact, since the first sin, man's greatest questions have not revolved around the physical. I've got news for you. Adam and Eve's first questions were not what type of music would be used at the worship service, right? Their first questions were not about where to spend their mission dollars, Their first questions and our first questions, all of mankind's first question is about the spiritual condition because we know that the spiritual condition is far more important, far more great. And it is ultimately the root of all of our physical conditions. We've learned through trial and error repeatedly that healing a man's body without healing his soul, beloved, is unprofitable. If you heal a man's body, but you have only given him a new body to enter into hell itself, well, health without peace is no health at all. Every, even science, by the way, beloved, has acknowledged this. We don't have to just turn to Scripture, even though Scripture would be sufficient in itself. Science, scientists have proven over and over again that when you treat a person, if you treat their wholeness, their mind, their body, their emotional state, and their spiritual state, when you treat mankind in a whole sense, listen, their healing is much more effective. You've seen recently the movie, or maybe you haven't, but have you seen the movie Patch Adams? Patch Adams was a real-life doctor, still a real-life doctor today, in the process of still trying to build this Gesundheit Institute, right? And if you haven't seen the movie, you can go and watch it, and you can understand where I'm going with this. But Patch Adams finished near the top of his class in medical school at George Washington University. Interestingly enough about Patch Adams is that Patch Adams went into school with a radical concept that if you could make people feel better, if you could make them have a better emotional state, if you could make them 
them have a better cognitive state, if you could change the way they felt, you would also enhance their physical healing. Scientists have told us over and over again that he was not crazy in thinking that, but that he was exactly right. But here's the problem, where science recognizes the need for that type of satisfaction, listen, it fails to identify the solution, namely that real peace always comes through the forgiveness of sins. The only way you really heal the soul, the only way you really heal the mind is when that mind is unencumbered, when that soul is unchained, when it is unfeathered from the shame and guilt that sin brings into a life. See, beloved, when we examine our world today, what we find is a world that is full of chaos. That's the physical side of things that we see. But if we were to dig deeper, if we were to dig deeper, what we would find is that that chaos is really just a symptom of a greater problem, and that is the problem of sin itself. You wanna, you wanna, you wanna challenge that for a moment, that premise for a moment? Continually in Scripture, the believer is told to live peaceably with mankind. Yet as our, as, our, as our world changes, as the world turns, so to speak, you'll notice that you will find true believers at total peace while the rest of the world is burning itself up. Why is that? Because peace is not the direct result of circumstances. Peace is the direct result of of a good relationship, an abiding deep relationship with Christ and the satisfaction of the soul through the forgiveness of sins. Let me give you one example of this this morning. In the homosexual community, which we should treat with dignity and the value in which they were created as all men are created in the image of God, one of the lies that is not often told is that something like 78% of practicing homosexuals were sexually abused as children. We don't want to get into that. We don't want to say that there's some deep-rooted cause there. What we want to do is we want to try, and this is where the church has failed, oftentimes attacking the physical instead of backing up and saying there is something deeper here. There's a deeper problem, something below the surface. When we examine our world today and we see all of the chaos and lots there be that, that is there, right? When we see all of that, we naturally jump to physical conclusions. And Jesus would say in this moment, which is easier to say to you, get up and rise or to say your sins are forgiven, but that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins. I say, get up and walk. In that moment, he dealt with the physical only because he wanted to deal with their hypocrisy. He wanted to show them that the physical was so entangled with the spiritual. The crowd that had gathered this day, yes, they had heard of the supernatural things that were happening in Jesus' life. But more importantly, they had gathered because they saw in Jesus the answer to life's greatest question, how can I be at peace? We need peace in our world today, don't we? Thus, the villain of our story is that which destroys peace. And Jesus calls that villain out from behind his, his, his prison, as it were, in verse number 20, when he turns to the man and says, not even having been asked, your sins are forgiven. I'm getting rid of that which is destroying peace. 
When you answer most man's most perplexing problem, people are then drawn into the droves. Church, I want you to know this morning, we can do a lot of good things in the world today. We can meet benevolent needs. We can buy groceries. We can keep power on in homes. We can help with prescriptions. We can pay for medical bills. We can adopt schools. We can sponsor programs in our, in our community. We can provide a social apparatus here this morning where people feel supported, appreciated, and accepted. We can put on an entertaining show that encourages folks before a long week of work in front of them. But listen, if we fail to address the real longing of their heart, the peace of their soul, they will leave because all of those things offered are offered somewhere else. I have a good friend, Dr. Aiken, that you always used to say to pastors, he would say, you will keep people how you get them. In other words, if it took you offering a great show at your church to get people there, then you have to keep producing a great show. If it took giving money and doing things over here, then you're going to have to keep doing that, right? And so the answer that he wanted to inevitably draw us to was that if you got them there by simply offering Jesus, then all you have to do is continue to offer Jesus and they'll keep coming. That that's enough. I know that I'm too young to be a part of an older generation, but when I was growing up, I would hear this all the time, that Jesus is still enough, that the world has all of its problems and all of its toils and all of its struggles, but Jesus is still enough, that we don't have to rewrite the message, we don't have to change the hero, we don't have to rework him and make him into a new image, Jesus is still enough. Jesus in this story was a voice crying out into the darkness, I have an answer to your problem. I have an answer to your soul's satisfaction. I have an answer to where real peace will come from. It is me. But we all know these things to be true. We know man's greatest war is always within himself. And that's where this story becomes so powerful. Because it not only points out what the problem is, that man has lost his peace, but it also points us toward the solution. In verse 22, Jesus understands, or Luke uses the word, perceives their questions. And so he responds amazingly. He tells them that he will indeed do a miracle, but with a specific agenda, verse 24, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. His healing in this moment was not to alleviate the man's suffering. Isn't that interesting? I would think that he might have said to the man, I'm sorry that you're paralyzed. Let me heal you from that. But he doesn't say that he's going to heal him to alleviate his problems or his pain or his suffering. Nor was it because he didn't want to waste the time of his friends. No, he says that the reason he would do it, are you ready, is because he wanted to show, he wanted to continue his teaching that he was God. He healed the man's physical condition to declare a singular truth. He was no magician, he was no conjurer, he was no sorcerer, he wasn't a medic, he wasn't a doctor. Man's most severe condition was spiritual, and for that you need the forgiveness of sins, and since only God can forgive sins, if only God can forgive sins, then he says in this moment, I say to you, you are forgiven, therefore I am implying, I am God. You need my help. You can't do this on your own. Watch what happens in verse 26. We're told there, it says, an amazement seized them all. 
I want to just kind of stop there for a second. It's like every Sunday morning at our church, right? Amazement just seized them all. That word seized means it kind of took control of them. They were overcome, right? If we were in a different denomination, you might say they was dancing around, right? But Baptists, we don't dance. And they glorified God, he says, right? And wait a second, who was God? Jesus, right? So what he's saying is they glorified Jesus and they were filled with awe. They were awful, right? No, they could not explain what had transpired. They had lost their understanding. And then it says they were saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. What was extraordinary? Well, it wasn't the healing. They'd seen doctors do that before. What was extraordinary in this moment was what they saw in the man when he left in verse 25. You see, their statement of we have seen extraordinary things is in direct relationship to the man singing and dancing and glorifying God and walking off. His soul was at peace through the forgiveness of sins. Okay, I said the, the, the preaching teachers, they would always say, what's the point of a sermon? Can you put it into a single sentence? Are you ready? Beloved, here it would be out of this text this morning. Mankind's greatest need is the healing of the soul through the forgiveness of sin, and only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. If I knew you would applaud if I put every sermon into one sentence, I'd do it every week. <laughs> Mankind's greatest need is the healing of the soul through the forgiveness of sin, and only Jesus can do that. So then we ask the second question, which would be, then what am I supposed to do with this this morning? What am I supposed to do with that? What's my application? Well, the first and foremost thing I would say is that if you've never experienced that type of forgiveness, you can in Christ. There's nothing like the soul-liberating freedom that comes when you know that you've found what your soul longed for, peace and forgiveness. There's nothing like being able to shed off all those things, all that shame and guilt, not being concerned with what other people think or say, but being willing to be totally unleashed and all of that comes through Christ and his offer of forgiveness this morning. How do I receive that forgiveness? Well, I receive it according to Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 because God put Christ forward as a propitiation for my sin. That is that God put him forward at the appropriate time as a forgiveness for my sin, as a sacrifice on my behalf that those who would believe in him that would believe that what he did on the cross of Calvary was good enough to pay the penalty for their sin, he would give them the right to be called the children of God. He would give them the right to be freed from all of that bondage, to be freed from all of that care, to be freed from all of that concern, to be freed from all of that shame, to be freed from all of those prisons that had held them in, to be freed from all of that chaos, as it were. You know, I oftentimes, I watch stuff on TV, on Fox News or CNN or wherever, and I look at the chaos, and sometimes I just kind of shake my head, and I think, what is wrong with the world today? What, what, how in the world did we get here, right? And then sometimes I sit there, and I think to myself, this is crazy. How can people act like that? I don't care which side of the political aisle you're on. How can people act like this? And most of the time, it is a direct result, are you ready? Not because of politicians or policies. It is a direct result of a longing in the heart itself. 
That is that we cannot get what we want, so we live without peace. But then we're told in Galatians that the fruits, the natural production of those who have been redeemed in Christ, who have experienced the forgiveness of sin, are you ready? Are peace, self-control, joy, gentleness. Against such, there is no law. Listen, the next time your spouse loses their temper, I want you to say, you're acting like a lost heathen, not like a believer today, right? Because in Christ, we get freed from all of that stuff. We get freed. First and foremost this morning, if you've not experienced that type of forgiveness, you can't possibly understand what we're talking about. I see this regularly. I, over the years, have had the opportunity to do counseling and Multiple times over, you'll have folks that will sit down and they'll say, I just can't let go of this. I just can't deal with this. And, and a lot of times, the great desire in that moment is to kind of come up with some two-step formula or five-step formula to, to solve the problem, right? But what you find out is through a process of conversation and communication is that's not really the problem at all. The reason that you cannot let go of these things is because, are you ready? You have not yet experienced the forgiveness that Christ offers. Because when Christ offers that forgiveness and you accept it and experience it firsthand, all of a sudden, all those things that once seemed so big begin to, what's the old hymn say? Fade dimly in the light of his glorious grace. First and foremost this morning, the great truth from this text would be that if you've never experienced that type of soul satisfaction and peace, it's offered to you. But it's not offered in a book. It's not offered in a curriculum. It's not offered in a classroom. It is offered in a person, Jesus Christ. Second of all, this morning, as the people of Christ, the greatest thing that we can learn from this is that the greatest thing we offer is not our ability to solve physical problems or at the neglect of the spiritual, but rather our greatest service is the declaration of one singular truth that Jesus Christ came to forgive sins this morning. Should we be involved in our communities? Absolutely. Should we try to meet some physical needs? Absolutely. Many times over, as much as we can, as much as God would entrust us to be able to do so. But if we neglect the spiritual over the, the desire to meet the physical, we will have missed the entire reason for our existence in the first place. It is easy, beloved, oftentimes to write a check, isn't it? It's much more difficult to dive into the muddy waters and to say, we're going to get you out of this first. And the only way out is through a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, who was God, who came in the form of man, so that he could relate in every way to us. This morning, if we meet every physical need in Sedalia and across the globe, but we neglect the spiritual, we have failed. We failed. And so our great application from this for those of us who have experienced new life in Christ is that we should not neglect the spiritual, but rather our greatest service to this community is the declaration of this truth that Christ forgives sin this morning. And we welcome you to come.